Hey, what's up, guys? It's your girl, Monique, live here in the heart of Little Havana Slam Radio, Series XM, Channel 145, coming to you on your little radio with my podcast, La Cinemo. For our new listeners tuning in, La Cinemo is where you'll be hearing on your girl, me, of course, talk about movies from the past, upcoming, and remakes. See, I'm a horror movie fanatic, and on my last podcast, I spoke about the remake and the original of Candyman. So, this time around, I'll be speaking about another blockbuster horror film, The Conjuring Part 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. I absolutely love The Conjuring Timeline. There's like over seven films that explains this series, and I love every single one of them. Like, you can watch me at like 3 o'clock in the morning watching these movies like it's just so good to me like I love scary movies like I love all movies that just make you scream and cry and like you're scared to go to the bathroom movies like you will see me there sitting down eating whatever snacks and it'd be some weird movies too like there's a lot of gore in the movies I watch and you'll see me eating anything like spaghettis when they're like zombies eating brains like I just eat it and they're like oh my god what if that you're eating zombie guts I'm just like okay cool it's good anyways my mom cooked it like you don't understand I just love 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 scary movies gore all that stuff me I'm there I'm there like the fair on my way to go watch the movies but let's not allow Monique to speak off topic from the movie I really want to talk about which is the movie I brought up The Conjuring Part 3 The Devil Made Me Do It so for those who might not know, every Conjuring movie is based off a real-life traumatic event with a twist of paranormal activity. So like, in part one, it was about a house being possessed in the woods. I wouldn't know exactly where the location of the house was, but just know it's that. And they were possessing the little girl, and then it possessed the mom, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. But for this particular film, the case is based on a murder who was possessed by the devil and killed his landlord. Hence the title, The Devil Made Me Do It. Duh. Why would they just... You had to correlate with the movie, with the title, of course, because then it just makes no sense if it was just, like, the bees and it's all about whales. But, like I said again, let me not get out of topic. Anyways, the murder is Arnie Johnson. What's so crazy about Arnie, he wasn't even the main protagonist but then he ends up being the main protagonist because he was possessed by an evil entity that jumped out his girlfriend's brother, which is David, who was having an exorcism being performed on him by the famous Warrens, Lorraine and Ed. Now David was experienced paranormal activity and has been tormented by the spirits in his home. Imagine just walking around your house and there's just a spirit here messing with you. Like, driving you insane, you're a little boy. Obviously, they're going to be like, oh, you know, he's just making stuff up. No, this man was being harassed by these spirits, and he's just a little boy, and they're obviously not going to believe him because, again, he's just a little boy. He could just be watching movies that he's not supposed to or reading comics that he's not supposed to because this film was based back in old times, black and white. So, of course, they're just going to think he's just making it up and he just wants attention. But that's not really the case. He's really being tormented by these spirits. When they are performing the exorcism, the audience can see how much pain David was going through. And his body was doing inhumane movements of twisting and bone-cracking positions. You can literally see him, like, just twirl like a bendy straw. Like, you know, those straws that you would get, like, at Chuck E. Cheese or stuff like that or the fair? Like that. Like, going in loops. 
his body was just twisting and turning like there's a position called the scorpion and it's where you're like a u-shape but it wasn't even like the u-shape it was just like his body and you hear it cracking i was fascinated by it because it looks so real even though i know it's just special effects it just looks so real and i just wanted to throw up but i just loved the film it was just so good i had to hold in my throw up but again honestly it was just so scary how they structured his body on the table and he's just screeching in pain and agony and just screaming like this demonic screech like you wouldn't even think it was from the eight-year-old i think he was eight i believe but the sounds coming out from this little boy like just screaming and screeching like like just screaming i wouldn't do it because you know i lost my voice kind of but this man was just like screaming and everybody's just scared of him because he's just going through this and like who would want to see a little boy just going through that pain like it's just sad but arnie being the best brother-in-law he couldn't bear with it any longer so he pleaded with the entity and told him to take him instead of david so he made his deathbed and now he has to lay in it we see the entity jump out of David and into Arnie. Like, you see him, like, just Arnie, just, like, it just throws him. Like, it literally throws him. As it comes out of David, it jumps into Arnie, like, throws him on the floor. Like, it was just so crazy. And then everything in the room is just, whoosh, whoosh, and just everything's breaking and stuff. And if I was there, I think I'll, like, I cry. I wouldn't know how to react. As this is happening, we see Ed is in absolute shock, filled with fear, and he has a heart attack. And he ends up going to the hospital. He was an old fart. He just needed to go to the hospital. Like after experiencing that, you wouldn't know what to do. You'd just be like, "Oh my God!" Like I would have reacted the same way Ed did. Maybe not a heart attack, cause you know I'm still young, still living. Maybe I can have a heart attack, but it was just so scary just to see that happen and his eyes rolling back. Like, it was just so scary. So they end the exorcism believing that they finished David's. But in reality, they have another story to come along because now it's in Arnie. So they end the exorcism thinking that they saved David. But in reality, now Arnie's in trouble. So a month passes by and Ed wakes up from a coma that lasted since the David incident. Lorraine ends up telling him how she actually saw the spirit go into Arnie and out of David. So she worried so much, she calls the cops to check in on the family because she feels that something bad is going to happen. But of course, the ghosts don't like to play easy. They like to torment. So they don't show themselves. And then the cops just be like, hey, come on, man. Don't call us. And nothing's happening here. But we can't see what Lorraine sees because we can't see beyond the human's eye. Moving along, Arnie and Debbie go back to their apartment where a kennel is located there, which is where Debbie works. Now, Arnie is literally getting eaten alive by the spirit. The man is like drenched in sweat and he looks all seco and dried up. He starts hallucinating that his landlord, Bruno, is trying to hit on Debbie. But of course, Arnie is filled with rage, you know, and jealousy. His ego is hurt. And the entity enrages at her and makes him stab Bruno 22 times. But you see that Arnie wasn't even aware he was murdering Bruno. That it was the spirit who did it. And the cops show up and they see him all crazy, all filled with blood. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So they're just like, oh, this man is paying the guilty card. Let's take him in. Book him. So that's it. And then. Arnie is trying to say, hey, look, I went through this exorcism last month. You know, the spirit, you know, it jumped into me. So obviously, Ed and Lorraine are just like, wow, Arnie, like, it's crazy. You were there. And now you're just murdering people. So, of course, they take it to court. 
and Arnie's case is the first ever American murder trial to be claimed as a demonic possession as a defense. They all look at him like, what the? Yo, what's wrong with you? And of course, everyone is looking at him bizarre and just mental, but we all know ghosts are real. Well, I think they are, of course. So Ed and Lorraine put on their Ghostbuster hats and investigate what's caused the possession first. While investigating, they found the witch's totem under the house where David was possessed and discovered a former priest who dealt with the people of the Rams, Cole Kastner. He told them the reason why David was possessed is that someone from the cult purposely placed it there to cause the curse. As they try to find out more information on the people of the Ram cult, they travel to Devner's and are involved in another case where a young lady, Katie Lincoln, is stabbed 22 times, which is a coincidence because Arnie also stabbed someone 22 times, which is probably the only reason why they were called to the scene. And they link these two cases together because, again, they found a witch's totem under the home of Katie's friend, Jessica, who was also missing now. So Lorraine begins to feel the energy on the scene to create a vision of what happened on the scene. She witnesses how Jessica stabbed Katie 22 times under the curse and jumps off the cliff. Now this scene is absolutely terrifying. We're shown what Lorraine is seeing, but we can't see that because beyond the human eye, of course. So we're just seeing Lorraine run in circles with her eyes closed and now Ed knows it's just normal to follow her because she's following the spirits, but everyone is looking at her like as if she's crazy. So when Jessica jumps off the cliff, Lorraine stops in fear and opens her eyes to reality as Ed begs for her to come off the ledge. As she turns, a spirit grabs her leg and tries to drag her down, but of course, no movie would want the main protagonist to die so early in the movie. We're building suspense here, people. But of course, Ed pulls her up and they're safe with the cops. And then she tells the cops, hey, you know, the bodies of the missing girls are over the cliff at the bottom of the lake. When the bodies are brought up, Lorraine touches the body to find the person who placed the curse and see where they are now. But she witnesses the occultists trying to make Arnie commit suicide. But of course, they stop in him in time. As they return home, their protege, Drew, gives them a book of witchcraft, which states that for the curse to be lifted, the altar in which the occultist operates must be destroyed. They begin to place the cases together and realize the occultist lives nearby, so they went to Kastner to tell him the news, and he reveals to them he fathered his daughter in secret because of his religion that didn't allow him to do so, and now he became so obsessed with the people of the ram cult religion, he became an occultist. This is the spoiler, guys. The lady occultist who's been placing all these totems is Kastner's daughter, who also became ballistic on cults because of her father was. Crazy? I know, people. But to redeem the evil creation Kastner has given life to, he shows the tunnels that lead to where she performs the rituals. But of course, his daughter finds out about the betrayal and kills him. Sad. I could never kill my dad, but homegirl did. She was, she was on something. I don't know. So, Lorraine goes down there to try to find her, and so does Ed with a sledgehammer. We know how directors work, people. We already know what's about to happen. He gets possessed by the daughter, and she demands him to kill Lorraine. So, that's what we see. Ed trying to kill Lorraine. And they're just running around in the tunnels, don't know where to go, and they're just... He's just trying to kill her there. Like, come on, dude, this is your wife. You've been with her for so long, and now you're trying to kill her over a dumb spell by a crazy lady who was influenced by her crazy father. But of course, in all horror films, there must be some relief in the movie. Love is, of course, stronger than all things in life, and she tells the stories of their love. 
And she begs and she pleads, don't kill me, don't kill me, please. You love me. We have a daughter, you know, giving him all the details of their love just so he don't kill her at that very moment with a sledgehammer. But of course, he breaks out the spell and he breaks the altar. Doing this, he saves him and Arnie. The cultist arrives at her broken altar, only to be killed by the demon she had summoned after failing to complete the curse. Que la madre be a cult freak and try to kill innocent people, dude. But it's all good in the end. Arnie sadly goes to jail for the murder he didn't even do. That he didn't even know he did, you know. But he only serves five years and marries Debbie. Ed places the cup from the altar in the room of artifacts along with the Valak painting and the Annabelle doll. Ed shows Lorraine a gazebo in which they first met, and the scene closes as they dance in love. So, folks, if you want to tune in on more, you got to wait on it. And when we come back from this brief commercial break, I'll speak more in depth about the other artifacts I brought up and how it all ties in together with the other Conjuring film. On the other side, here at Slime Radio Series XM Channel 145. This is Series XM 145 Slam Radio. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no. That's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison? Why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, it, look, if they pick up two nigga Manuel Apollo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking, I'm, I'm looking at the different angles. It does, you I don't call know. him that, I call him Tunga Vailoa, whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on two nigga Manuel Apollo. Tunga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Two nigga Manuel Apollo? Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tunga Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tunga Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tunga Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tunga Vailoa. That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. I'm constantly failing, guys. I'm constantly learning. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. There's no losing, only learning. There's no failure, only opportunities. And there's no problems, only solutions. So to me, what failure is, failure is the mother of all success. But I really get motivated when people tell me it'll never happen. That, that to me is what makes me get up in the morning and go, what's next? I love people to tell me no. I love people to tell me don't, it won't, impossible. And uh, the word can't is the word can. And the word don't is the word do. And the word won't is the word one. And in the word impossible, it's possible. What do you tell them? You tell them, you know? You know, that, that all they can do is learn and come back bigger, better, stronger, because all it's going to do is lead you in the right direction. See, if you're always winning, then you don't really understand what it is to win. you, you got to take those losses. you got to take those hits. There's got to be the valleys, the peaks, the ups, the downs. In order for you to 
when it does happen, you go, wow, you know, this is what it's all about. On behalf of all of us here at Slam Radio, we would like to thank you, Pitbull, for making this dream become a reality. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go! This is Tua Tungle by Lloyd. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker Every. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Serious XM. Yeah! And welcome back to the side of La Cinema with me, your girl, Monique, right here on Slam Radio, Series XM, Channel 145. The Conjuring universe wasn't created to go in order. To understand the universe, you'd have to watch it all mixed up, like part one, then two, and then Annabelle, and then the nun, and it's all a mess masterpiece of James Wayne. The Conjuring 1 and 2 both introduced spin-off concepts alongside the main storyline. The Conjuring centers around Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are real-life paranormal investigators. In part one, they come to aid the Perrin family, who was traumatized by the paranormal activities happening in their new Rhode Island home after the mother had listened in on one of their seminars. During the film, Annabelle the doll is introduced in the film as a previous case of the Warrens, who was owned by two nursing students, before ending up in the Warrens' artifact room of haunted objects. And you see, folks, this is where I mentioned earlier in my first podcast where they had put the cup of the people of the Rams in. So they put all of their haunted artifacts in just one room. But of course, they say that they blessed it almost every month or every year from what I remember. But Annabelle, that doll, it marks as one of the most creepiest elements throughout the whole film that she even got her own spin-off franchise. Like, she, if you really see her, she is absolutely terrifying. Like, her face, her makeup just doesn't fit her, which... It just makes her even more scarier. 2014's Annabelle, a prequel to The Conjuring, which explained how she made it into the hands of the Warrens. In Annabelle, a married couple living in California find themselves in her company when her husband, John Form, buys his expecting wife, Mia, a rare vintage porcelain doll to add to their nursery. I'm not a doll person after this movie. I hate dolls. I hate any baby dolls even if it's a baby alive doll i will not be accepting that doll because of stuff like this too many movies guys i'm influenced by too many movies sorry not sorry but that same night a horrific murder takes place next door and their neighbors the higgins are killed before mia and john are attacked by the killers as well it turns out the murders were the higgins daughter annabelle and her boyfriend both members of a deranged cult we later find out that Annabelle, the human, was a huge part in the Annabelle's The Doll story. It doesn't take long that Mia realizes the demon doll is after her own soul. So possessed parish priest Father Perez steals the baby for the demon as a bargaining tool. Now, come on. You buy the doll and then coincidentally a murder happens next door. The doll, one, already looks scary. Two, it's already scary. So... I would have been like, oh my god, no, this doll is not even cute. I think it's this doll. I think we need to throw it away. I would have done that. But no, she's just like, oh my god, no, a murder just happened next door. No, baby, the doll caused it. Please and thank you. The daughter went crazy. She killed her parents. She wants the doll. It's just so crazy to me how one little doll is the cause of all this madness. Like, Chucky wasn't even as bad as Annabelle, guys. Like, I actually like Chucky. Like, 
But no, Annabelle wants to be a killer. Not even a funny killer. She's just a scary killer. Like, what's wrong with you? But moving with the story, when the film wraps up with Mia and her baby surviving the trauma, Annabelle and the demon disappear. And from there, we learn that Annabelle made it into the hands of the nursing students in the prelude to The Conjuring after one of their mothers buy the dolls from an antique shop. So this is where the beginning of conjuring one happens which is so bizarre to me if you are my mom why would i want a doll i'm nearly 30 studying nursing i want a doll come on mom you really thought i needed a doll i need money that's what i'm going to a school for not a doll like if i really needed a company i would go hang out with friends or you know start a relationship not a doll, especially an ugly doll, especially a demon doll, to add that. But the audience will sit and wonder, who was Annabelle? So, in Annabelle Creation, explains what leads to what happens now. It reveals the doll's evil origins. In the film, a couple opens their home to Sister Charlotte and six young girls who were left homeless after their orphanage closed down. The film reveals the crucial details of Annabelle's origins, explaining that the husband, her father, is a doll maker who made Annabelle for his daughter. But what was once a harmless doll became evil when his wife Esther reveals that the death of their seven-year-old daughter, Annabelle, the couple began to pray to an entity that would listen to their grieving pleas to see their daughter again. Now listen, lady and germs, I do believe in afterlife, but... Praying and seeing, you know, spirits come around, I don't mess with that because you don't know who you're practically begging to or, you know, talking to because it leads to one thing and one thing to another and then murders happen. This is why this is a movie, guys. It explains what could happen. As I warned before, turns out the only thing that answered was a demon that latched itself to the doll. After realizing they don't want to do anything with this doll, they lock it in a closet with Bible verses plastered on the inside walls. One of the orphan girls, sadly Janice, is coaxed into the bedroom where the doll is locked, who unlocks the closet and literally accidentally releases Annabelle's evil spirit. After demonic chaos and haunting, Janice managed to escape after being locked in the closet herself for attempting a murderous rampage. Ladies and gentlemen, over a doll. Over a demonic doll, to add that. Chucky was not like this, ladies and germs. But Annabelle's just, you know, she's wilding now. She's out killing people. Whatever floats your boat, ma'am. But Janice finds her way to another orphanage before being adopted by the Higgins family. Sounds very familiar, doesn't She lives with them until she's a young adult. After being possessed by the demon from the orphanage from years ago before killing them with her co-boyfriend. And folks, here's the spoiler as to why it sounds familiar. She's the murderous cult member, people. She's homegirl with her crazy boyfriend who killed her parents, people. She's that girl. See how it all links now? How it's all just, you know, connecting like puzzle pieces? 
So after attacking the Form family in Annabelle, she killed herself with Annabelle in her arms, transferring the demon right back to where it all started. And folks, just when you thought Annabelle had sufficiently disturbed you for a lifetime, The Conjuring Part 2 introduced us to another evil entity which may just take a lead ahead of Annabelle for the scariest character. Visit the Hodgson family, who was terrorized by a poltergeist in the famous real-life Enfield haunting case. The oldest of the children, Janet, is possessed by a spirit of an elderly man, but it's soon revealed that he is just being used as a pawn by an evil demon to break Janet's will. And who is this freaky demon? Introducing Valak, the evil nun from the depths of hell. But being the amazing Ghostbusters the Warrens are, they managed to condemn the demon back to hell in a massive showdown. This is how Balak was born into the Conjuring universe. The Nun was an original story of Valak. The Nun reveals that Valak came into our realm through a rift in the catacombs in a Romanian convent summoned by a duke who was owned by the Abbey in the mid-ages who was obsessed with the occult. The rift was being sealed using an artifact with Jesus Christ's blood on it, but bombing during the Second World War caused the rift to reopen, unleashing Valak again. Father Burke, Sister Irene, and a local villager, Frenchie, used the blood of Christ to banish the demon and once again seal the rift. It looks like it's all okay again, but the end of the film takes us back to a scene we saw in the first Conjuring film. Anna Lorraine present a footage at a university seminar of their attempt to exercise a possessed man who turns out to be Frenchie. So the blood of Christ didn't work out for him. The nun just moved in somewhere else. And this is where the mom from Conjuring Part 1 contacts them for help during the seminar. And the tales begin again. Thanks for tuning in on this special episode of La Cinema with Monique here on Slam Radio Series XM Channel 145.